Well, 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 well. Welcome to the Underground Sound. Good name. <laughs> In the background, we just heard uh, from Blue Cheer, Ain't No Fun Sun, like the fun summertime. Ah, blues! Oh, you'll like this, Vale. We're taking selfies, reading Wikipedia, um, fooling around with the computer, and doing a phone patch. Multitasking. Look, and multitasking. And, I and you thought getting zines together. So who I have is Ron Quintana. And and I don't know if you guys know each other. Ron Did you sell at Carol Lennon Studios this weekend? Absolutely. I saw your stuff. It looked really good online. That's cool. So Ron is one of the people we found up here, one of our others. He grew up in San Francisco. He actually went to the same high school as Bruce, but he's a lot younger. Than us, the girl who ran the Chatterbox said she knew him when he was fifteen, but he was—he um, had a show on KUSF called Rampage Radio and was in the I heavy metal. You still do every Saturday night. Are you, he's credited for naming Metallica. I don't know if that's true, but I call them dirty words. Yes, and then you know Monty Kazaza, the your oldest friend on the planet. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Unless you just say that to everyone who stops by for dinner. Um, <laughs> I have to get a meal wherever I can. Oh, absolutely. You deserve it. Have you seen? The, you. Did you see the picture of Monty inside the dryer? Uh, I, I need to. I need to send it to you because it's my new apartment. I was the saying, only one I can afford. I said, Monty, when we had Lydia on the show, she said, "I remember when you talked about uh, living in silos." And I, I said, "Monty, look how far you've fallen. You're now in a dr an industrial sized dryer, not a silo, a dryer." But he's petite and fits. And, and it's so poetically appropriate. It's called industrial. Industrial, but also drying out. It's all I can afford, Bill. Everything oh, else is too expensive. Speaking of afford, I wanted Ron to come on my show. He's really hard to get because he's always traveling about um, and going to the city. And he he has a record shop up here, and he's uh, two record shops, and he has Both a. Town. Uh, well-known, you know, books and we got to get real, plugs in for them. When, when I first so. moved up here in 2004, Downtown he was the only person that supported Mill me. Street. So why don't you plug your businesses? I've got the record corner over at uh, Booktown. We have about 10,000 records on 107 Bank Street, uh, across from Caroline's Coffee in beautiful downtown Burbank. No, Grass Valley. <laughs> And uh, around the we corner on Mill Street, it's 233A. It's a little uh, real records, and we've got 5,000 records and toys and fun stuff. Things it's the best there, store down there. It's yeah. fun. And Dale, you must plug yourself now. Oh, yeah. Research publications. Been doing this since 1977, really late 76, with Search and Destroy. I still have original issues, and you can find all my stuff at Research Pubs. That's P U B S dot com. Good. And I, have um, no, I have nothing to play. I so. always say that go. Vale and Research are the um, epitome of uh, what documentation of the San Francisco punk scene. He is legit. He is the source to go to. Search and destroy. Uh, forget all those copycats finish last. I mean, everybody's welcome, but he is the the where the buck stops. This is the real deal and that's why he goes all over the world and, and where does is, talks where is his MacArthur award that's what I, I know. know Vale needs one yeah and we wish that we could all 
uh, afford a lot more. But Vail and his Pulitzer Prize. Vail, and he's still <laughs> in the same place. A Pulitzer, definitely. Definitely. He's got the best books. I Go bought the new them. pranks too off him uh, last right. uh, month, and it was awesome. And uh, my favorite, the incredibly strange music books. Oh, and then, oh, and, and the, CDs and the incredibly strange movies. I like oh, Angry Women. Incre- I think you need Angry, angry women. women too. I want to be on the cover. <laughs> oh, that's an idea. Uh huh. <laughs> no, I think you should. Have- Angry, angrier women. Angrier woman. And I want to be on the cover. And then the third one could be angriest. Well, that's true. That one time we were, I don't know, I was with Michael Belfer and we walked by and he said, Vail, Mary should be in this book. And I'm like, ah, but of course. Anyway, Vail wrote the foreword to my book and it's, he's amazing. But why we're talking, and thank you for napping and staying up, sweetie. So much thanks to you. And, um, is because we're doing a blue cheer. It just came out of the air, and I thought, well, what the heck? Let's do it. And you are credited, of course. You were in it. There's pictures of you in 67 as the keyboardist. Can't argue with that. <laughs> okay. So, well, I the mean... The very beginning. The very... Well, I think they started... No, they were 66. all very... Yeah. No, yeah. We, we started in... Actually, the real summer of love, as you know, was not 67. It was 66. 666. And that's when it was unknown. And and that's when everyone knew each other by first name. That's when a real underground... Oh, that's like the punk, yeah, before... Yeah, just like punk. Less than probably 200 hardcore people. Right. Ooh. And you can't memorize more than 200 names, ha-ha. Yeah. (laughs) It's called the village theory, actually, which... The, it's it's the theory that says that you know there's never going to be no matter who you are there won't be more than a, I don't know 200 225 people in your life that are truly meaningful and significant and archetypal that but have a profound effect on your life and and vice versa <laughs> well of course yes we're, all, we're so. all communicating vessels right i always say i have about I don't know, I can count on two hands really solid good friends. But the people I know, yeah. like acquaintances, and I, I know people everywhere, I'm sure the same is for you. Oh, yes. So how did it start, Blue Cheer? Um, the rumor is that it was started on Hate Street. Now, this uh, Mike, the manager that started in 84, the whole the controversy is where did Blue Cheer get their name? Um, oh, so it w- I was there. I, I mean, we were. He said we were it was just, detergent. I've heard it was acid. Um, I don't know. What do you What do you say? Well, of course, we were a blues band then, trying to be, even though we were quote white unquote, and actually didn't know anything about the history of the blues compared <laughs> to the the real geniuses like say Mike Bloomfield. You go to his house. There's already literally hundreds of super rare, hard-to-find blues records. and and. Do you think yeah, he has well, a better collection than um, Robert Crumb? Who, uh, Mike Bloomfield had a great collection. Uh, he also had gone to England and he'd gotten some great books. And I, I'm sorry to say that he he loaned me uh, Paul Oliver's The Story of the Blues, a hardcover book, and then he died before I was able to return it to him. Oh, and no. that also came with a double LP set of the most amazing blues recordings and he also loaned me some albert king that sadly never got returned and and a few other things that are pretty rare but i also loaned him some 
some Egyptology books and things I didn't get back, so what the Ah, uh, yeah. But no, um, Luthier, uh see, he had to have been alive then, but I think everyone who saw them were blown away by the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, which had came through a year earlier, not not... I don't. I think it was around '65. Whenever that first album came out, that was like so mind-boggling because everyone was into folk music then, acoustic, uh-huh. and then, and then uh, this record came out, and they did a national tour, and I happened to see it at UC Berkeley, and they were these guys were mind-boggling because remember this was kind of in tune with civil rights and all that, and. I tell you, black and white people didn't know each other or work together, but here on the stage at Poly Ballroom, and I guess it was 65, maybe it was earlier, you saw, like, these guys with huge afros, and they were white. Alvin Bishop, Mike Bloomfield, and and they were playing guitar like you had never heard before. Just so amazing. And then you had these scary-looking black dudes on uh, Sam Lay with his... His uh, his uh, arms. He's wearing a sleeveless T-shirt, white, and his arms are like these ham hocks. Or they're just huge <laughs> arms like beating the, the drum. Wow! And with a you know with a red bandana around his head, and he's black, and he looks scary. And then you had this guy who looked about seven feet tall, Jerome Arnold on bass, just dressed in a suit, a dark suit, and he just looked about forty years old, but he wasn't. And then you had, of course, um, Paul Butterfield, a white guy with his hair slicked back, wearing dark glasses, and and playing the harmonica like we hadn't quite heard before. But the most amazing thing was the guitars, especially Mike Bloomfield. But Elvin Bishop was no slouch either. And so this, like, I'm sure thousands of people all over America saw them like me, and we were just blown away. And that killed the folk music movement, if you ask me, that tour. Ah. record. And and then... Oh, I know what so the other... I'm sorry. You had, young, you had young kids like Dickie Peterson. Right. You must have heard it, too. I, of course, saw and heard it in Berkeley, but Berkeley is kind of more sophisticated. Dickie was in... Jesus, I guess he was in somewhere in Colorado and then he somehow got to Davis and and they anyway the point is of course I didn't I didn't know them until I answered an ad they put a practically an illiterate scroll because those guys dropped out of high school I think or something. right they couldn't write they could hardly write never read a book not autodidacts so. I was just the opposite and right and so I was at the psychedelic shop where I went very often to read and to listen to the music they're playing and to smell their incense and all that. That was on Hate Street. Oh, uh, what was like, your favorite incense? I can't remember. I just can't mm. because, because, you know, you're right. They say you can remember smells better than any other memory that is more emotionally powerful. But mm. to be honest, I never got into that at mm. all. I never spent a dime my entire life on incense, but they had it burning because they wanted you to buy it right. at the psychedelic shop. And and there was a little, near the door, there was like a sort of personal one-ad thingy, a bulletin board, very small, where you could put ads up. And I saw... So you read this illiterate ad. ad. And it said, <laughs> it said, blues band forming, drummer wanted, and phone number. How could you and mess I, that up? And I wasn't a drummer. 
I, I had, but I had wanted to be Mark Neffel and the keyboard player of of, uh, of Paul Butterfield. And I had his exact Farfisa organ. Wow. I memorized Ooh. his parts and all that, and because uh, I did own that record, and and so I called him up and and asked him if I could just come down, and. Somehow they took me in. They weren't looking for a keyboard, but they... Oh, I know what the rest of the ad said. Like Paul Butterfield. Oh, okay. And and I must have said something like, well, I've got a a keyboard, and, you know, maybe you could use me in the band. And so that it happened... And it took just took forever to get that drummer too. Drummers, I found out. Oh, they're the hardest. Yeah, hardest to find and the easiest to leave or the soonest to leave or something. Well, you, if you get a good drummer, hold on to them. I always say they're stick sluts because they will play in every. I mean, they have that opportunity once there's a good drummer. So it's like, oh, there goes another stick slut because they they can just. Yeah, a good drummer is worth its uh rhythm <laughs> with well, no, part they, and rhythm they're all they're all in five bands now and they right. all i've driven in cars with them and they're always drumming you know on yeah. the steering wheel or whatever yes it's in their blood so anyway i i went to the house at 115 fillmore street and i mean the, these guys had a whole house a small one and it was it was kind of it was just down from hate street downhill and I was living at 624 Ashbury at the So time. it was like Hayton Fillmore? No, they were living oh. on Fillmore, yeah, just below Hayton. And I was living at Hayton Ashbury, you know, ah, like the, right the primo there. address, yeah. 624 Ashbury. And um, and so I went and talked to them, and I I was already university educated. I'd, I'd, already, I'd already graduated from UC Berkeley just barely, and, um, and I could tell these these people are kind of subliterate. Right. <laughs> I mean, they are not college educated. But that was that was cool, and it was a very weird group because you had Gut, this guy who who was in the Hell's Angel, very tall and thin looking. That's exactly where the Hell's Angel like name Jesus came in. Yeah. And then you had uh, Jerry Russell, who was who was. I turned out. It turned out later. His family's. To say they're quite wealthy is an understatement. Uh. I, went, I went to their one of their mansions on in Pacific Heights, and as soon as you go into the right, was this like huge ballroom where you could have two hundred people, you know, uh-huh. doing dances or whatever. And and, and and but I didn't. Of course, this you know, you just take it all in stride and. And then there were a bunch of other people who'd come down from Davis. Peter Wagner, he's in the that photo of me that Jim Marshall took, and a, a really cool guy named Gino with already had long hair, always wore deep deep velvet tops. I don't know where he got them, but he looked really classy. Velvet, like velvet blazers? Uh, no, handmade velvet shirts or something. They looked Renaissancey. Yeah, you know, this is the hippie era. Right. People, people were already looking this way and they if you had a, a girlfriend they would just make you something like that like overnight or something and um it was it was, and so i i i realized i'd come across this little family kind of uh, and 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 shortly after i uh joined because i guess they hired me although 
I think Dickie's older brother Jerry showed up, or maybe he's already there, but I somehow remember him showing up just a teeny bit later, and he had his girlfriend Sally Joe, and everyone was crammed into living in this house, but I wouldn't live there. I had my own room, you know, and I was already alienated anyway, so I'm not going to be a joiner for anybody. And so Alienated was, in your mind, or... No, I just I don't I don't like to be I don't join over either fami- over familiar with people. Let's right. put it that way. Okay. You know, I I mean, and and I have an intellectual life. I always have read tons, and so and I want solitude. And yes. So anyway, so I was there though when we it took forever to think of a name, and um, I don't remember who I who was there who who were saying, well, we're thinking of calling the band Blue Cheer, because at the time there was a very popular laundry detergent with beautiful blue boxes that came in called Blue Cheer. And then, of all things, um, Owsley, who came around to the band, well, he, he liked to be the patron of bands, and he came around and gave us some acid called Blue Cheer, and so that, <laughs> and everyone said, oh, yeah, let's call ourselves Blue Cheer, and then Gut said, no, let's make it Blue Cheese. Oh! And then... And then I'm so glad then, you went with Cheer. Yeah. And oh. then it was, and then it was, let's just call ourselves Cheer, but we weren't sure, but we wanted the blues reference, see? That was right. Okay. And so Blue Cheer it was. See, that's what Mike said. Mike said it was a detergent and that there was a lawsuit about that because the detergent, of course, didn't want to be associated with or whatever. I don't know. Uh, We'll get to him next about all his... um, I know nothing about that. Okay. Well, but you were playing the keys. talk about that later stuff. Okay. You were playing the keyboards. Well, I was Mark Naftalin, you know, imitator on exactly the same... For a piece of keyboard, it was fun, Ugh. and and then it was real easy to imitate. That was also the time when Indian raga scales. Everyone was noodling, trying that out, and that was easy to do too. I actually did the first soundtrack for a Ben Van Meter eight millimeter film called Summer of Love, and I was noodling and playing fake Indian music and and <laughs> met, you know all that stuff. But then I think later he took he took my soundtrack off and added some you know hipper band of the time, like the Grateful Dead or something. Was it always the Farfisa? Yeah. But then, that was, this is a bad thing. The bad thing, decline happens when you have, I don't know, managers or whatever you call them, conceptualists trying to improve the band and redo uh, everything. Yeah. And and someone got the idea that, oh, this Farfisa or- organ is not good enough. You have to get a Hammond organ. <laughs> and I hated the Hammond. Yeah. I loved the Farfisa. I, I, I could play it. I had all. I knew all the tones and all that. And Hammond was too complicated for me. Much less trying to lug it around. To, yeah, it's way heavier. Plus, <laughs> foot pedals. It had foot pedals. Those are impossible to learn. Right. And who needed them anyway? You had a bass player. Anyway, I could tell you. <laughs> a mi- I could tell you a million stories about all that, but I won't because okay. I, I'm running out of time and I'm almost done. Right. <laughs> uh, well, that it's all it's and up I, to you. And I must mention, Vale is a really excellent keyboard player. Oh well, Vale will Vale. You Thanks, still buddy. you 
you go around, piano. you play piano, you have a piano yeah. at your house, and we've been, yeah. um, you play for your guests and your friends, and you also do a lot of shows around town. I mean, you show up, and it's, there you are. Well, I, you know, this is a very weird economy, so uh. yeah, you, I do what I have to to survive, and I... Well, I, I sure hope you it. put a little cup up that says tips. Oh, you know, I only did that once. I never remember to do that, but I should. <laughs> you should. So <laughs> what are you, before you head off to Dreamland, um, what are you up to that people can come meet you at? By the way, we heard that, um, and we were very happy, that you went to the Noise Fest. I know that we popped your cherry on that. You came up for us. We invited yeah. you. And what, that was such a cool scene, right? Monty and I oh, still I love, I love think that the, the, that noise scene in Sacramento is like early punk. It was so fun. But we've heard... Exactly. Exa so we heard through a friend. He's like, I drove up with Vale. And Monty and I were like, oh, boo-hoo. We wish we would have seen you. Or gone. <laughs> but I'm glad that became a thing for you and that there's people that you drove up with. And, um, yeah, they're really nice. Yeah, really nice people. Yeah. Everyone we met is super nice at the noise fest. It's very small, but what I call quality. Qu very exactly, nice. and very in intelligent people. Very, oh, very smart. Yeah. We're very still smart. getting... Monty, there's, can I, see, can I there's tell... still hope for all those millennials yet. Yes, get into the <laughs> we noise went, we went, we Monty, Monty, really Monty, ones. can you tell your Bibletron? Oh, I didn't bring it. Can you tell Vela about it real quick? They all saw it at the other noise fest. Oh, so... This guy sent my auntie a Bible, and it opens up and like where you think a gun would be, but it's a Tron. It's a musical instrument. Wow! Inside the Bible, it's a Bible Tron, <laughs> wow. and it's a guy from the Noise Fest. That was like the gift that keeps on giving. And even though we hit a deer on the way home and it totaled oh, my, my car, God. so Monty said, "See, that's why I don't do any shows." So that's been his excuse. <laughs> I still say it's one of the funnest scenes around. And what month? It was October fourth. Anyway, I haven't hit a deer since Knockwood. And thank you very much, Vale. Your work in Blue Cheer. Are you on any recordings? You know, we we recorded a whole album at Fantasy Studios, or at least I thought it was a whole album. But I do not know what happened to the tapes. They probably just got erased over. I I remember there were so many problems because we played at such a loud volume and they they didn't have limiters or something right they, they couldn't they were just baffled the the interesting uh, fellow that i talked to from new york the manager said that initially they didn't have marshals in america they came from oh, england no, no, they didn't exist. and they didn't so exist. when they came from england blue cheer is one of the first bands that noodled around with all the insides of the marshals and uh somebody Turn them I, up. yeah was talking to earlier said oh i was at one of their show oh, warren d and he said oh gosh they're they had these marshals they were just so loud so if you can think of one uh, oh. show with blue cheer that you really dug did you guys play outside of san francisco or yeah, yeah, we we went in this Volkswagen van. About ten of us jammed into. I remember one Volkswagen van, but maybe there was an, another car along. But I remember all jammed in, crammed together like a bunch of dogs or something. That's how. That's the way it is. And we we went to Portland. We stayed at some ginormous mansiony house, and then we played. But but I remember. 
being dosed. I didn't. I was so starving. I was always so hungry then. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember ever buying food or making. Food. Right. No. Who and, does? And, and there were all these brownies there. I didn't know there were hot brownies. Oh, veil. And and they. I, 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 I had this insight. This is as strong as LSD. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's something about... Anyway, and then we had to play, and I was so stoned. Well, one of our memorable gigs was playing, and I don't even know where. I thought it was maybe on Hayes near um, Masonic, a few blocks away from Masonic, but it was some place around there, and it was a benefit for... Tim Leary and Richard Alpert, known as Baba Ramdas. Ah. I mean, and they were right in front of us on the stage when we wow. played. And I met, and I remember them looking kind of puzzled but staying calm while we played our set. They were at they eleven, <laughs> and they were all like, you know, in their sort of guru poses or what he called meditation. Puzzled poses. but Below. calm. Can you meditate against the marshal? That's the real. Well, no, we didn't have marshals, and, and in fact. I they they stole blue chair made off of my Standell lamp. I had a I had a fairly I don't know it was big for the time about a four foot high Standell lamp that you could not take on the bus. I could take my keyboard on the bus. <laughs> on Muni. On oh yeah we had to take Muni. It was 50, fifteen cents then, and our practice place was on Twenty Fourth Street in a basement. Just it was about I'd say a block and a half. East of Mission Street, I can't remember the Shotwell number of the address. I don't think Cap. no, it was definitely Cap Shotwell. It was, oh, near Shotwell. The, that beautiful neighborhood at that well, time. Well, the, 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 believe me, the address was on Twenty Fourth. Ah, I suppose I could go and recognize it since I have all my marbles. Isn't that weird? But Somewhere every, near Mark McLeod's house. He's, he's on Twentieth. I thought he was on Twenty First. Or, or 21st. Well, what's the difference? Should we bet a dollar? Were you still a six-piece at that point? Hell yes. Uh, they fired me July 15th, 1967. They fired, what, half the band and just made it Paul <laughs> and Dickie and Lee? That, they fired the other right. three? And yeah, one of them was, was Jerry Peterson? Was that uh, Dickie's brother? Well, that's Dickie's older brother. Yeah. But, but the tall guy was, was actually, his father was a Harvard professor, he already had a child and a wife named Jan, and and he was he was Jerry L. Whiting the third or fourth. It was some you know that they their family came over in the Mayflower kind of. Whoa! Thing. And he's a big Chaucer scholar at Harvard. Whoa! You can Google him. Really? Oh yeah. Hey, I I remember stuff. I know. <laughs> See, because because you weren't a drug person, and you That's right. and you remember, you still know, have those brain cells. Well, I remember everything now. Somebody, I mean, you, you know, you just that's just the way it is. But and thank goodness for you. I don't remember anything. Actually, huh? <laughs> yes, you do, Monty. No, I, no, no, I don't. One time, I was my ta- lawyer told me don't remember <laughs> anything. Who? Very my funny. lawyer. Very when? Funny. When? Who? I what? When? Where? How? I wasn't there. Biafras once told me he's like Vale will remember your conversation word for word. Uh-oh. And yeah. Anyway, it was a compliment. That's because Vale's a public investigator. Oh, he's much more. He's a researcher. He's a fabulous writer, and he's our dear friend. He's one. He's the one I count on my two hands. Uh, vale, thank you so much. Well, gee, you're welcome, guys. Yeah, you're just. 
And pl- plug, plug research again before you go. What's that now? What? Plug oh, research oh, again before you research, go. Yes, research pubs, pubs.com, and, and we just cranked out a, a zine on, of all things, Jellaby Opera came over for six hours and ran it just four days ago. And wow. I managed, we managed to crank out a zine in time for the event yesterday, the <laughs> punk flea market. We worked day and night, uh. and a 60-page zine we cranked out. And, and, of course, it's like, you know, Jellaby Opera on the coming... Trump-pocalypse. <laughs> right. Trump-pocalypse. Yeah, he knows a lot about Trump and yeah. and, and that whole scene. I just saw... Uh, and he's very funny about it, unlike a lot of earnest Trump haters. Right. He's very funny. Uh, I just saw Rollins um, speak. I, I got Me him too. free. And he, he did that. He, he, yeah, he's great, too. Yeah. Two, and a, two whole hours without even a sip of water. Just two point five. We taped him. It was two point five hours. Jeez, Louise. Jello's got him beat. He can talk six, Jell-O. eight, twelve hours straight. No, not, I don't know about that. Well, the opera claims he was going five. Well, they, they wow. should have one of those filibusters and see which one can see which one can talk. <laughs> they the should longest. be Democratic. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, they they should just they should go head to head and see who survives. <laughs> hey, like um, the Thunderdome. Um, Jack Sargent just texted me loving the show but um the thing about jello is that he can do his show so he'll talk for two or three hours then he'll come over for dinner um and and talk some more That's right. <laughs> uh, you no, know and he's amazing another photographic memory guy yeah and so and, and he'll go back available. yeah he'll go back way back and go like why was this happening anyway it's all fun and games until and, we die until and trump so, gets elected <laughs> Well, we're not going to let that stop us. Um, it has, it, it, Re-elected? What, what can we do? Um, but carry on. It, it just made everything way more surreal than I would have ever Oh, thought. my gosh. It's so science fiction. Like but the and, positive part, though, is look at all the activism. Prior to that, it seemed like people were asleep. So, yeah, I would agree. And also, it, it just made... Everything more surreal, so we have to all get more surreal in our mockery of oh um, yes the, the Trump clown show oh, tiny Trump idiocracy yeah Mm-mm-mm. anyway all right Stein that's wait wait what did you just say Trump and Trump and Stein Trump and Stein there's all kinds of of words that have been coined now like you know like like you know the rise of the alt Right. Well, well. Let's all call it the Alt Reich. R e i c h. Oh, right. Big Heil. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, um, yeah. Twitter. You can call it Twitler. So there's all this fun and games we can start. It is like super pranks, and like I love how everybody's like sending postcards and um, uh, just like uh, calling and stopping up all this stuff filming everything um oh my god they, they invented uh, the iphone that can film and super everything. square people are going i've got a pussy hat so yeah 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 that's wild yeah they wow. ran out of punk yarn you know everywhere <laughs> you can't buy a punk hat a pink hat i mean in san francisco uh, <laughs> maybe you can now but in China, they're knitting away like mad. <laughs> miles of punk, pink, I mean, pink cap, you know, knitted pink cap. Yep. 
I'm, I'm getting one. <laughs> <laughs> I am too, darling. All right. Well, I'll be down soon, and I shall come knock on your door. Oh, uh, you're going to L.A., correct? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm there at the Los Angeles Art Book Fair, so anyone hearing this, please come see me. I'll be in the zine section, and I'll have everything, all my rarities, all that stuff. Yeah, um, and Marion's there, too? She's only coming down Sunday. Okay. And where is this at? It's at, um, oh, God, I forgot. But believe me, just just Google Los Angeles Just Zine Fair. Oh, yes. Well, no, it's called Los Angeles Art Book Fair, L-A-A-B-F. It's an amazingly huge event. It's, it's great. Is it in L.A. proper? It's not like one of those. Oh, yeah, yeah. downtown. Okay. It's, it's, it's very close to, you know... I don't know, all those high-rises and stuff. Oh, okay. Well, Vale, thank you so much. <laughs> I've I've kept you 30 minutes longer than I agreed. And, oh, that's, um, yeah, that's all right. But I really, yeah, I personally I miss you as a friend. And then um, there's more on Blue Cheer that we obviously, we're just scratching the surface. I know, I can tell way more. But By the way, your pictures are really foxy. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah it's... I, I think you're the foxiest one in the band from back of then. Oh, gee, thanks. No, I, I remember once that you opened this book and you're like, why did they post this horrible picture of me? And I said, you have a glam haircut. It is amazing. It's the 70s. It's like the early 70s. The shag was it. I had a shag. I wanted Good. to be Susie Quattro. Yeah. Good. So, you know. Yeah, she, she's an unknown heroine of the base. Oh my gosh. She was huge in London. That's where I got hit. I thought she was huge, in, but I never hear her name mentioned, so I hope she gets remembered. I do too. I'll what keep saying it. Susie Quattro, awesome. Susie Quattro. Hey, Monty, come on, let's all say farewell to Vale on the air and we'll uh, carry on with some blue cheer. Thank you so much for taking the time. Sure. Bye-bye, Vale. Vale. And Ron, you next guys. time you go up and say that it's you, Ron. To Vale. All right. Vale from okay, Research in bye. San Francisco. We love you. Ciao. Uh, okay. How do you say goodnight in German? Uh, Auf Wiedersehen. Good <laughs> good I think it's guten Nacht. It is, it good, is good Nacht. Nacht. Yeah. Twitler. <laughs> <laughs> it's all happening at the zoo. All right. We love you. <laughs> okay. Bye. Ciao. I am Mary St. Mary. This is the Underground Sound. And we're having our Blue Cheer special. Woo! <laughs> In this first, last hour, we talked to uh, Vale from Research, Search and Destroy, the first keyboard player for Blue Cheer in 67. We got the whole skinny on everything, everything how it began. And uh, so coming up is Mike Bodak. We're going to be talking to him from Yonkers. And he is the manager for Blue Chair from 84 till present time who's enjoying the show. How what, many albums was, did they put out? That's oh, what I want to know. I'll, How many do you have listed? I have Discogs, and I, I'm going to tell you it is... You brought in Vincibus Eruptum, the very first from 1968. Yes, we heard tracks off we of that. We have the second one. We have the third one. The second one is... Um, not new and improved. That's the third one. But interestingly, Mike said, oh, that Steve Allen, those were his tapes. Outside so Inside is the second we're one. We're going to get the real skinny from him. But All right. We uh, did play Summertime Blues. Everyone knows that big hit, that Summertime Blues. That's a cover uh -huh. of Mr. Eddie Cochran.
the big cool rock and stuff and uh everybody they had a huge number what 14 hit in 1968 from their first album oh yeah and it's amazing we heard veil tell us oh. all that early stuff which yes. i didn't know anything about i knew nothing i thought they were always a three-piece they did kind of evolve into a four and five piece for blue cheer new and improved by 1969 we have that record uh we can play randy holden this amazing guitarist he had solo albums called population two and uh he was on half of that album and then they got gary yoder from the oxford circle which was also paul whaley the first blue cheer drummers ah. band in 1966 they were from sacramento okay. and then i've got some cack from davis which yes. is uh also, Gary Yoder, uh, just uh, around the same time as the first Blue Cheer album, and then he joined by the third Blue Cheer album. And we also have more Randy Holden, the other half, um, which is some ripping um, Arthur Lee Love L.A. style. Uh, they covered an Arthur yeah. Lee song, A Feathered Fish, and we have that we can play. The only thing I didn't bring that was uh, Blue Cheer related. Okay. Uh, was the Sons of Adam, which who only had a couple forty fives, and some of uh, the Lee Stevens, um, who the original guitarist um, solo stuff, which is amazing. Red uh, Weather, that's okay. he put that out in sixty nine. He moved to England and just started doing his own thing after Blue Cheer. And none of these guys lost their mind. It, it's amazing yeah. for for all the drugs they 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 supposedly took. And the the volumes they supposedly right. dealt with every single day. Well, was it like on a Sid Barrett level? Um, because you know, I think they took harder stuff than Sid. Sid okay. just took ten thousand mics at a time yeah. uh, of certain things, and who knows where what what happened to Sid? Yeah. And uh, well, we know that Vale got dosed because Vale isn't a druggie. You can say that. About yeah, him. and a lot of people did back then because yeah. you know it was just everywhere, and figure people figure. Yeah, you, there's you, certain people you that should have some. Their houses, even you need still, some. and I will not taste. Well, be careful. This station. And because Osley knew how to make LSD. Exactly. Uh, and he made the best. Really good. Yeah. The most intense. And we have a really dear friend who has the best acid art collection. Ooh. Mark McLeod. Can we show some of that? Some. He's uh, He does do some shows and uh, all those blotters, blotters and stuff. He and, has yeah. blotter every, acid every, art. He's been collecting it forever. The and DEA he's got tried to arrest them just to get Two times. <laughs> yeah. And they t like tr tried to trash his art collection. But he's an artist. Oh, he's like amazing. Owsley. Yeah. And he hung out with... Um, Oh, who's the guy that gave him those boots that are um, Sky Saxon? I, Sky Sa uh, Saxon gave him some boots. Oh, with um, they were like lamb claws, you know, or whatever those little hooves. They were hooves. <laughs> yeah, hoof boots. We're going to be talking to the fabulous Mike Bodak um, from New York, who's who's going to give us some more inside scoop on Blue Cheer. Wow, wow. That's Gary Yoder and eight, Cat. Seven, six, from five, Davis. Four. 1968, Three, an two, amazing record. One. Cack. Say it. Cack. Cack. K A K. Cack. And it's like, wait, what's the record? It what's rocks. It? It's called In Cack or Cacola. 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 With That's all it. the best with Paul. Uh, is it Paul Whaley? Not Paula Whaley. It's uh, Gary Yoder, from, who, who was later on New Improved. Paul or Paula? Paul Yoda. Hello. Hello. It was a gong. 
long, and then here you are. Oh, I am so happy. I have. Please introduce yourself, Mike. Uh, hello, one percenters. Is Mike Bodak, manager of Blue Cheer? And we're talking to him from Yonkers, where he stays Yonkers, up. New York. He stays up all night. So all night, twenty-four hours. Yeah. Ah, yes. Um, yeah, Matt, you know the email you sent me with all the cool pictures. These guys. Oh, I'm here with Marty Kazaza and Ron Quintana, and um, they're like so. Uh, envious would be the word of these and so they're busy making copies and I'm screaming get in here we're going to get Mike on the phone <laughs> so Mike uh, Mike has been managing Blue Cheer since what 84 84 but I've been with them since some of the, I would say the three piece beginning I know about everything with Val and stuff like that and Val, Val right, yeah. The, yeah the 13th and the 14th was his last gigs <laughs> you know the exact date they were fired, you know. Oh, uh, fired. Fired, yeah. You're probably. fired. Well, he said because they wanted him, he had a Farfisa, and they wanted him to do use a what, a Yamaha? What was it they wanted? Uh, Hammond. Hammond. Oh, a Hammond. He said it was too heavy. Yeah. But remember when we were talking early, Mike has so many great stories. It's so We've talked a few times, and it's hard to not get into it. I'm like, save it, save it. First was the name, which what you were you said it was the detergent, and then you said there was a lawsuit about that. You said yes. there's been about 27 members, and you've had 27 lawsuits about no, that. It's 20, this is the new Blue Cheer today is the 25th lineup. 25? Oh. Yeah, 25 lineups of Blue Cheer. So, you know... Uh, so you're, so you're also like a psychiatric... You're a psychiatric technician, aren't you? <laughs> No, I just can't get away from it. <laughs> ah, but you told me a very interesting story about the Marshall Amp, and oh, Marshall I would like Amp, for could yeah. you, you um, could at, you tell that story again? At the time, Hendrix was in England, and uh, Cream was out there, and we used to see all these pictures with them amplifiers, and uh, we got them brought over here, unknowing to us that the uh, you know the. Uh, voltage and stuff was different so it had to be all rewired and everything uh in san francisco there's a place called the organ center i think it's still there but i think it's guitar no way center. oh guitar yeah. center oh, no. i know no but i think that's what they call but it was called organ center and mm. they rewired mm. everything did they also deal in like underground organs such as like lungs they, and they, hearts they, that, that was the organ center. that's how they made the money that was like a laundering they were like oh yeah yeah we're selling organs uh, so anyway you guys had to rewire the marshall amp they did they, they did the, yeah. okay you know vox had the organs and stuff like that and uh, you know but uh there were some stuff so you um they did that even when we played the uh miami international pop festival you see pictures, you'll see they were brand new, brand, and they're 200 watt. I still got one of them here. Wow. <laughs> they weighed a ton, man, putting dry ice on them. And Do you have a bad were... back? <laughs> I'm 69. I have a bad everything. Well, no, but uh, everybody who's like who humps equipment, you know, I always say, like, I didn't have to roadie my own stuff. But yeah. roadies are the ones who, if you're not handling that stuff uh, correctly, you are going to have a bad back. So you had to so put and, ice on. Hendrix played that festival, and when Blue Cheer was coming out at the time, Paul Whaley, the drummer, was going out with Linda Eastman. Okay. He went out with Janice. He was going out with everybody. 
He was kind of and, a uh, guy who got around. Yeah, he's the best drummer in the world. Uh, oh, a stick slut. So he got laid proper. Oh, he was the one. So much pussy. It was insane. Oh, Paul was, yeah, he was insane, all right. So when they came out on stage at the festival, oh, a helicopter. Remember them little glass helicopters? Glass? They had it all the time. Jimi Hendrix experienced the manager and him were in that helicopter, two-seater, with a glass front, and they flew over the stage while they were being into. Into uh, you know, being announced, Blue Cheer from San Francisco. Ah. So they walked off stage and they came back out. It was done on purpose. They played the Shrine Auditorium, and uh, Dickie says that uh, Jimmy was there with another guy with a uh, 60 millimeter camera, out, you know, mm -hmm. side of the stage. Yeah. But uh, that was the thing. And uh, then you also it heard was, it was Cream, Blue Cheer, and Jimi Hendrix. They started it all. You know? And then you, you did happen to hear, because you were listening to the show, the Steve Allen, and you said, those are my tapes. And we were, I think many people who think, I'm going to get in the music business. Well, everything's different now because of the internet and streaming, but it's like cassettes, no, this tapes. this is a wild fact. This is before all that, when it was analog. And, and so, you know, and you were like, that was mine, but I didn't get a dime. And I can say, oh. hey, I didn't get a dime he either. $500 for that, believe it or not. And who he, did? He moved to Germany. Dickie? He sent them to, yeah. Okay. He sent Japan. And they came 500 but I wanted to kill them. Uh, <laughs> no contract. He also sent the Randy Hole in our population to album. Uh, and he has the guitar got album. You've got to get the guitar album. Go on his site. He sells all We up. have them all. The, I, I've got God. Randy Holden, Guitar God. I've got all of them. Ron. Population 2. Population 2. Population 2. We got that. Right, we just played that Fruit was, and Icebergs. We it. just played Fruit, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. That that was off the Blue Cheer 3 album. New Improve. <laughs> new Improve. That, that's another uh, detergent thing. Yeah, New Improve. Uh, oh, Rinse, Recycle, Reuse. Blue Cheer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is what happens when musicians get a hold of, because I've known tons of musicians some the very f small portion uh actually make money and are successful and everything else but the other people that are like well i need like five hundred dollars sounds good let's do this well, right well, now he, and it's a really stupid the deal he, the money. he got yeah. ripped off in germany till uh -huh. he died really? he was ripped off really bad like um, like how bad we've all bad been. i'm talking about bad yeah. uh, you, they they made uh, CDs over there. They got no money for them, man. Yeah, the Japanese people like this is this is we no respect. Wait, we uh, reissue came out. out. There's 26 active albums in Blue Cheer. In the states, it's seven of them. I re I released the seventh album that was in the can when Dickie died. Uh, we did an album in 1978. When a punk scene came around, I think you're a punker, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, when 78. When came around, we did an album uh, real fast, like the punkers. You know? oh. <laughs> and we said, nah, shelf it. Then he died, and I re-released it. I don't know if people know that. But What's it, it called? It's called Blue Cheer 7. Oh. Yeah. I'll send you a copy. We've stumped it. our... Uh... So is The Beast is Back number six? The Beast? Yeah, uh, the Beast is back is number eight. Okay, I did the Beast is back. That was Mike Bodak Entertainment. Uh, that was uh, a shambles. That is a great cover. Oh, the cover was supposed to be blue. 
That whole that was a jinx. It's red. It's red. Yeah. With I, the, know. I have the blue cover. The whole album. If you look on the back of it. Yeah, we're looking now. Tony Rainier vocals. Where's the guitar? He was a guitar player. Right. It's so many mistakes oh. on that album. Man. So well, did... it's a John Zazula special, and he oh was just finished gosh. ripping off Metallica. Oh, oh. You know how I got that contract from him? I was in a Lone Star when we played down here. I mean, we had a ride a truck with amps and this little dump we got booked in, you know? Uh-huh. And I, this magazine was coming out called Kerrang! And I got the magazine, flipped it around. I said, look at this guy, all these Metallica, Raven, and all this stuff. <laughs> look this at this. This is in 1985. <laughs> I called him up from down there, and he says to me, well, yeah, you got a band? I says, yeah, Blue Cheer. He goes, what? Where are you? I said, I'm in New York City. I'll be right down. <laughs> he, he got down there. We made a bundle of money, and sent us right up to Rochester here by Niagara Falls, and uh, we did the album, Beast is Back. That album was the best album we ever did, but I made the mistake of telling, I told him, don't release it in the States. Release it. Uh. He did, and uh, at the time, it was called Polygram Records. They're still, uh, now they're universal. They got all mad and stuff at me, and oh man, but it was the best album back then. A blue she ever did because we had Tony Rainier as the guitar player. Now this so uh, best sounding, best produced, but but the yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, well, it was great. Yeah. Oh, cool. So what happens is Tony quits after ten years. That's in '84. Yeah, so he quits after ten years. I fired Dickie because of contractual disputes. He couldn't wait to go on tour at the time. This guy Yuli John Roth was coming from Germany with his band playing this week. What? He's playing yeah, this week yeah, in Sacramento and San Francisco. You're kidding. He's playing here, there? Yeah. You, yeah, so... Wow. I hooked, I hooked up with him for the Beacon Theater down the city here. Mm. I had time to rent it for him. He was $2,500, and I had to have four union guys. Piece of cake. It was a 3000 <laughs> theater, right? All of a sudden, Dickie's riding around. Oh, I ain't waiting for that. He gets two guys, and he goes riding around his blue cheer doing three gigs. Tony and Paul are sitting in their house saying, Mike, I went to the supermarket, and I think he's got a blue cheer. And I said, well, how could he have a blue cheer? He goes, I went in there. guy says, oh, I didn't see you this weekend. He goes, I'm not playing. And uh, so it got into legal matters and stuff like that. He wow. He contract with me. He got all mad. Fuck you, I quit. Oh, I shouldn't say that. That's okay. But, can we carry yeah. on. Carry on. <laughs> Oops. So that happens that way. So the lawyer said he's out because he voided the contract. You know, uh-huh. I mean, uh, we were supposed to at the time. There was a group called Soundgarden. He messed that one up. They were supposed to open for us. They became, <laughs> <laughs> they, they became gigantic, man. right? Yeah, they did. And like I said, Megaforce had Metallic. All of them groups, man. Uh-huh. That, yeah, that group really made it big, man. Oh uh, yeah. They just packed uh, all of them. We're back then, yeah. They were nothing, man, but they made it. But you know, Dickie was a weird person, hard man to handle. Really? So <laughs> um was five lineups. <laughs> was Dickie the main um always in the, the lineups? He was the voice. Okay. Uh Dickie like like uh, he learned how to play bass himself. Wasn't great, but he, he 
He was an innovator. Uh, he was uh-huh. talking about Michael Bloomfield. I managed Joe Lewis Walker. I stopped managing when I... Uh, he's a good friend of mine. Joe Lewis Walker was in the other half, uh, Mark II. Oh. Uh, he's, I was with him the uh, last week because he was supposed to win a Grammy. Ah. Yeah. So he had a gig down here at the Iridium, Les Paul's place. Uh, we went down there with him and stuff. And, but he's, I know him 50 years. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so that Oxford Circle stuff, like, you know, it was all a big family, all them guys, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. And, uh, Joe was a, a guitarist in that, man. Paul Whaley. Well, see, that was people, oh, Bucci had started Oxford Circle. It didn't work that way. Paul was ready to be fired, right? <laughs> Harry Lee Yoder was the, you know, the... Uh, what do, you mean, what do you mean by ready to be fired? Like he was wanting to quit? Yeah, now listen to me, yeah. See, the first drummer they had was Aloysius Merriweather. Al. Oh, what right? a name, Aloysius. I love that name. You have that's the picture this guy. of him in rehearsals. Yes, well, the pictures. Yes. I'm showing everybody right. in our audience That's the Aloysius. Can you see through the radio? We're showing up pictures. <laughs> Who's the really tall singer? Uh, that, oh, that's Jerry Whiting. Okay. Jerry Whiting, when he got fired, he he put out an album in Boston called uh, Far Cry. And my son's telling me about some video, Far Cry, and that was the name of the group. They put one out. Uh, it was on Vanguard. I have that. That's Vanguard, that's Jerry yeah, Whiting? Whoa. Boy, you know your stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ron, Ron is um, amazing. Yes. He's a collector. Oh, oh. He's a record collector. He also has a radio show, a metal show, and he's been down with the metal in the Bay Area. Uh, he's close personal friends with those Metallica guys. And um, I know Connie. But and he has two record stores. Two, two. record stores. He's, two. Yes. So he brought all this great stuff. When blue I said, cheer, blue cheer, blue when cheer. When I said, I want to do blue cheer, yeah. a blue cheer show. And then he said, well, here's what's interesting. And he, there's they have all these Pat, other bands. There's CAC, yep. and then there's this. Oxford Circle. Oxford Fir- the Circle. Other half, and the and only person I knew was Vale, and then you popped up like a like a wonderful like <laughs> gift, and yeah. here it is. So I think this is Blue Cheer Part 1, because yeah. it just there's just too much it, it material. It on and on. Like I said, so it's a CAC album. What's the collector's name, Ron? Yes. Ron, yes. What, what was their name to fame? Their uh, claim to fame? The Lemonade yeah. Kid with uh, Gary Yoder uh, and well, Paul Whaley, they, or no? They did a video first. Yes. Okay. Oh, they but did the first. Didn't they do um, the the extraplanetary? Um, am I thinking of something else? CAC. <laughs> um. And anyway, okay. they were the first group to have on the front cover was color, and on the back was color. Epic Records was the first to do that. Oh. What a great record. Yeah. Oh. And they're Cac- out of Davis. Cacola. Yep. Gary's, still, Gary's still around. See, if I would have knew about this, I would have got all of them guys to call. Well, that's why we can do we can do part two, because we are, Davis, we're in the Sierra Foothills, so we're in this small town that's um, like northeast of... 50 miles from Davis, right? 50 miles from Davis. We're cl- the closest city is Sacramento. And then... We don't um, count that. But, well, we're all from San Francisco, so that... Uh, Sacramento's become a viable option now for me, because... Hey, the Oxford Circle were from, from Sacramento, so okay. that's And that's so good. Davis, yeah, all that stuff is now coming to light, oh, because... from da- Davis. Yeah, okay. when you... You become a little bit of a... They were the hideaways first. 
Then they changed their name. They were first the Hideaways? Yep. Ah. 1965. I got the posters there. Oh, my goodness. You got the posters? That's the hook up there with Paul and Dickie because uh, they played the uh, Fillmore West as Group B and the Hideaways. Ah, okay. Same bill, so they knew each other. So you said how did Paul Whaley was going to get fired was Dickie got a hold of Paul, the former group. So he walked over to Gary's house and says, uh, can I talk to you? And Paul was outside and he says, <laughs> can, uh, Paul wants to leave and I'm going to form a group, you know? So, ah, okay. So Gary said, oh, oh, oh okay, that's okay. Uh, but they were going to fire him anyway. <laughs> ah. Paul never knew that. And Paul's the one living in uh, Germany. He's right. In Germany. With Dickie's wife. With Dickie's wife. And <laughs> I know, it's that's how it goes round and round. Yeah, he lit, see, when, this is a sad story, when Dickie died. How did Dickie die? Was he, what, was it cancer, a? Cancer. Oh, I thought it was prostate. a hepatitis. Okay. Prostate cancer. Oh. So when he dies, um, he was in Cologne, and Paul was in Regensburg, that's like 300 miles away. And for two weeks, he didn't know he died, Paul. Really? It was hard to always get a hold of Paul. Paul uh, Paul's been doing uh, since he died. He has a group. He was in the United Blues Ex- Explosion or something. Like United. Blues. Why have I heard that? Or is there another blues explosion? Put an album out. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking it's that was his name. Yeah. No. United Blues Experience. He made a CD with them. Now he has a group, a tribute group called Little Wing, playing drums with a tribute band like you know. Tribute to who? Jimmy. Hendrix. <laughs> oh, Little Wing. Okay. Mm. There's a lot of that going around. So how did you connect, being from New York, to this Bay Area well, scene? Were you in San Francisco, getting on some free love? In 67, the groups we had here was, uh, you got Love and Spoonful, you had, um, what's his name, uh, Vanilla Fudge, right? Mm-hmm. Vagrants with Leslie West. So I just wanted to go to California. I, said, oh, I ain't hanging around. I was playing guitar and stuff. Did nothing out there. Didn't get a gig nowhere. Uh-huh. So I just hung out and I bumped into the two brothers. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, that yeah. is how. Like Vale said, everybody sort of knew each other. Everybody That's how it was in the punk. You know, I played uh, the Pyramid a few times in the '80s in the Lower East Side. I used to love to go to New York. Look at this picture you sent on Haight Ashbury. Vale looks twelve. Everybody looks 12. It's in front of the unique men's shop. Uh, I'm 69, so he, I think he's older than I am, to tell you the truth. Well, you know, certain... We won't tell anybody. He's aged well. Well, I'm 55, so... Sounds yeah, great. 69. <laughs> yeah, Vale. Oh. oh, that's the Ben and Jerry's right there on the corner of Ashbury and Haight. <laughs> My favorite little corner. <laughs> oh, I like the Potrero Hill background from 1967. That's awesome. That's, that's Ethan Russell. You know who Ethan Russell is, a famous photographer. Yes. So yeah, you were, his yeah. Bro- his brother was the manager, Jerry Russell. I see. Hey, Monty. Yeah. Look at yeah, how. He, he went with the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, flying a family stone. He was doing everything. He's still out there, Ethan. You know, Jim Marshall died. He was a cranky guy. Oh my! Yeah, he was cranky. The photographer, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh my God! He had so many pictures of Blue Cheer. 
I'd call him up. Well, you know what you got to do. You got to buy him. That's the way you used to talk. <laughs> he was worse than Sonny Barger. That's the... Oh, you're <laughs> kidding. Who's I know who Sonny is. Lucia fans are called one percenters. Oh. Sonny Barger. That's, that's where you get the one percent. I was wondering where that came from, the one yeah, percent. The Hells Angels. And, ah. But, but all the bikers use But Sonny went straight, didn't he? He put, <laughs> Yeah, sure he did. Put out a book. <laughs> yeah, sure he did. Sure I wanna, he did. I'm going to do a gig out there with the new uh, Blue Cheer where he lives there. Really? Uh, I'm going to play Vamps, too, with uh, Danny Coker. Because I have a 88 GTA Trans Am that's the Blue Cheer car. Whoa. Wow. I wow. bet you keep that in a garage. You don't want that weather getting it out there. If you go to my wife's site, you'll see it. Yeah, uh, everything. So I'm, I'm going to take it out there, and I think I'm going to sell it to him. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, with all the posters and everything, I have friends who have lived off of selling their um, punk yeah. posters and all that kind of I stuff on eBay. Money. Yeah. It's kind of good. Them. I see that on eBay. Kind of nuts. I have boxes of the original ones. I have one from England. Yeah. The second album, you know, with the painting on it that Arab drove. drove. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, so how can people get a hold of you? And we're going to go out with the rest of the time with some with music. I'd like to hear it from the Beast. I'll pop it on. Yeah, let's get that. So how can people get a hold of you, Mike? management at gmail.com. You have my cards up there. I do. Yeah. I do. And, and when uh, are you going to be? Um, and the new Blue Cheer, where are they playing and who's in them? We already did a vid two videos. One with the Hells Angels um, concert we did and uh, another gig we did. We did two videos. They're in a studio right now. The name of the album will be Blue Cheer um, Total Resurrection and uh whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you like it or not. And it's, it's really an up to date louder blue cheer. <laughs> louder? How could it be louder? louder? Double bass drums. The guy has electric sticks. I think you've seen that. I think I sent Electric the sticks, double it's double bass. Like a chapman yeah. or something? Yeah. But we light up sticks. Amplification, you know. <laughs> oh wow. Reline your ears, you know, get ready. <laughs> Reline. Well, you know, I'm old enough and have been in so many dives and played in front of a lab band that I protect my ears and have some really awesome earplugs that are molded so yeah. that I can hear everything. You play bass, right? I've seen and, a picture. Uh, I play guitar but, and sing, oh. but I also play theremin and all that other stuff. But, yeah, I know I sent you my... my Do you remember Ethan, who Ethan James is? Why is that familiar? Ethan James at Tokyo Studio, Radio Tokyo Studios. Um. Want to hear a story about him? That's Ralph Burns Kellogg. He was in the fourth and fifth Blue Cheer album. Then he went out on his own. And why he went out on his own, he says, I'm going to change my name to Ethan James <laughs> to get better luck. <laughs> he did. He, he, uh, he had his own studios, this group Minutemen he had. Oh, yeah. Double nickel a dime. Yeah, double nickel on the dime. Yeah. Black flag. He produced the Bangles Rain Parade. Uh, oh, so he was in L.A. Yeah. Uh, he's, dead. he's dead now. You know. Wow. But, uh, he has. He had a group called Jane Bond. Yeah. He ah. Had a, you ever hear Richie Blackmore's Rainbow? Oh. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, Richie Blackmore's yes. uh, yeah. Night, right? Mm-hmm. Where he plays all them classical instruments. He ripped that off from Ethan. Ah. Ethan got about five or six. Val must know who he is. He, yeah. 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 That's Blackmore's Night, and I've seen all them instruments on stage. I says, holy Christ, this guy's been doing that for years. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it all goes around and comes around. So uh, um, the person that trademarked Blue Cheer wasn't really in the band that long. Wait, what was the story you told me? They did no, some. Um, Randy Holden at the time only did three songs on that album. Okay. Right? So uh, the Guitar God album was being put out. And he bumped into Dickie at the time, and he said to Dickie, oh, Blue Cheer. He goes, oh, I'm out of that. He goes, you are? He goes, yeah, you you take it, you know? Wow. Take over it. So him and Randy Pratt here in New York did that album. I'm, I, uh, a couple years back, I managed Randy Pratt, who had a group called Rickety. <laughs> and when I got a hold of him, it was in the New York Post, of Blue Cheer getting back together. Meanwhile, Blue Cheer were in Europe. <laughs> 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 How many were there? Yeah. yeah. So I called them up, and I said, what the fuck is going on? Oh, excuse my language. And he says, oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you don't know. You're going to trademark it. Then they dropped it. I talk to Randy all the time, man. He has his wife. He's well to do. His wife has an art studio on Laguna Beach. Oh, yeah. Ruth uh, Myers, his wife, and she was uh, commissioned by the... uh, the po- uh, Vatican to do a uh, picture of uh, the Pope. <laughs> wow, <laughs> okay. Millions of dollars worth of art. In yeah, there. and then, yeah. you know, the people with money attract money, and the rest of us, we're still struggling. Hey, Mike, it has been a capital B blast to have you on. Thank you so much. Okay, don't, don't forget the new blue sheet. I'll be in touch with you. You'll be in touch with me. We'll do it again when it comes out, and we'll do some more. Um, you really, um, I'm glad Val came on. I'm glad you came on. I mean, Vale. Val Vale. And uh, Ron, Monty, we'll say goodnight. Thanks for staying up. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for all you've done to, to contribute to music. Yeah. Alright, take it easy. Val. Okay, now. Ciao. Oh, day! And we had Vale on the phone. That was so cool. He stayed up for Mike us. was cool, too. And Mike was super cool. Mike uh, Bodak over there from New York. So, yeah. So we had some real live blue cheer. Not six degrees of the separation. The original The one percent. The people into it. The, the one percenters. The one percent. So Vale was actually in the band, and uh, and he looks about 12 in these pictures. And so thank you so much. Um, 25... Members later, Blue Cheer is still playing.